This morning we're continuing on our journey, our road to Bethlehem, if you will. And uh, I've titled this sermon, Rubberneck. And we're going to get into that in just a little while. But I have to start out this way. I remember growing up watching a show on TV. Now, it wasn't a seasonal show, but it came on every once in a while. And there were like four episodes to this show. And then it would end. And then the next year, there'd be four more episodes or something like that. You may have heard of this show. You may remember it. Some of you, it was called, And They Walked Away. That was the name of the show. Has anybody ever seen that? Or was it just me? All right, good. One person. Amen. We're on a roll now. Um, (laughs) The neatest thing about this show is that you saw all kinds of things happen. Car wrecks, train wrecks, rodeo mishaps, natural disasters, boating mishaps. Like, I saw boats do things they just weren't intended to do watching this show. People skiing and mountain climbing and just tumbling and, like, turning into giant snowballs and stuff like that. Funny cars just exploding. Monster trucks rolling over. NASCAR pileups. Interstate issues. Basically, it was a show that highlighted the mistakes of life. I thought, man, that's amazing. You know, the unique thing about this show is everybody lived because it was called And They Walked Away. See, they couldn't have called it that if somebody didn't live. They'd have to change the name. But even though you knew what the outcome was going to be, you knew watching this funny car just burst into flames on a quarter mile, you knew the guy driving was going to be okay, but you were still on the edge of your seat. You're just waiting to see if they were going to be okay. And lo and behold, they were. Here's the, the, the transition for this whole thing is this. Now we have reality TV. So you don't have to wait for that, that one time where there's four episodes in the middle of the year because we get to see it all the time. We've created a society of rubberneckers. And you know who you are, okay? No, no matter what it is. Something on the interstate as you're driving. There's a wreck or there's the police go whizzing by chasing somebody. Um, it could just be a viral video on the internet. And what do we do? You've got to watch this. Watch this kid. Spaghetti comes out his nose or whatever. Maybe it's a NASCAR pileup. Uh, let's face it. That's why most people watch racing. They like to see. They don't want to see anybody get hurt, but they like to see the action. And, and it doesn't matter what it is. We've got Jeannie Mose from the news station to share it with us over and over again. I don't know if you watch Channel 31, but she's on there every morning with something that, that just fits this rubberneck mentality of the lifestyle that we leave. And we watch it, and we talk about it. We show it to our friends because at the true nature of all of us, we are rubberneckers. But in order to be a rubbernecker, we need some things to kind of supply that lifestyle. First off, we need some kind of a commotion. Now, this doesn't have to be a bad type of commotion in order to be a, a true rubbernecker. It doesn't have to be bad news. It could just be something funny, like with a viral video on YouTube or something. So it doesn't have to be a bad commotion. But then we need the media, unfortunately. (laughs) We need the media or just a teenager with a smartphone to get the video commotion and then post it on YouTube. We need those things. And then we get to do our job. We get to stop and look at all these things. So the simple math for this sermon is this. Commotion plus media plus a willing audience always equals rubberneckers. I came up with that math myself. But something I've come to realize is that rubberneckers have been around for thousands of years. And today we're going to see how the birth of one little baby boy caused a butterfly butterfly effect on the world of rubberneckers. From shepherds to a king to magi and even to you and I today. Will you pray with me? 
Father God, I thank you for today. Uh, as the sermon's got a weird title, and, and it's it's frivolous, but the message is not, Lord, uh, because the the message is about your Son Jesus, and and it was the best gift you could ever send. And and so I pray that as we as we take a a look at ourselves, as we take a look at your word, that that we'll be able to see a reflection of you. And, and that as we sit here today, we'll open up our hearts to your word, to your message, so that we can live our lives according to your ways. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as I said, today we're going to look at the unwrapping of the greatest gift ever given to man. We are going to share with you from the children's book, The Legend of the Christmas Rose, by William H. Hooks. My wife Mitzi is going to be reading parts of that book because I love to hear her read and I thought that'd be a great Christmas gift for you all. Um, but I have to tell you this, before we get started, um, my favorite Christmas song ever, hands down, is The Little Drummer Boy. And I, I know everybody's like, what? That's not even a real Christmas song because there wasn't a Little Drummer Boy at the manger. Or I understand that, but The concept of this song, and in particular, my favorite version of the song, The Little Drummer Boy, is by a group called The Almost. So you can write that down and check it out on YouTube. It's The Almost, The Little Drummer Boy. It's the best version of The Little Drummer Boy ever, and that's my plug for that song. But I realized The Little Drummer Boy was not at the manger, okay? Um, But the concept, it it hits me that this this one little boy face-to-face with baby Jesus, and all he has to give is a song. And, and I just, it just kind of sets in my heart, and it makes me all weepy and happy at Christmas time. And I love that song. This story, The Legend of the Christmas Rose, is a lot like that. It's a legend, okay? Uh, remember, legends aren't always the truth, but they're, they're a great illustration for us. And we also need to re- remember that Jesus often used stories and parables and things like that to teach important lessons as well. So keep that in mind as we go from Scripture that is God-breathed to legend that is man-made um, there's some truths that are going to happen. This legend has some truths in it. For example, uh, there is a flower called the Christmas rose, and it was discovered around 900 B.C. It's been used to treat and cure different sicknesses over the years. Some even claim that it could make you invisible. That's, that's the legend part, okay? <laughs> um, but we're going to go ahead. We're going to get started with this, and Mitzi's going to start in the story, um, the legend of the Christmas rose. Dorothy had three brothers, tall and strong, shepherd giants who guarded their father's sheep. At least they seemed like giants to her. Dorothy was born late, long after the youngest of her brothers had gone to the fields to tend the flocks. Her mother, who had given up hope of ever having a daughter, named her Dorothy, which means gift from God. Now in her ninth year, Dorothy was allowed to carry a goat skin filled with fresh water to her brothers. But they still treated her like a small child. Little Dot, Little Dot, Job would shout. Then he would scoop her up, toss her high into the air, and catch her in his arms. Micah would twirl her around and around until she was dizzy. I am not a little Dot, she would say. I'm your biggest sister. And you're the youngest and oldest sister, too, teased Jonathan. One day, when Dorothy was bringing water to the fields, she spied strangers on the road. Quickly, she hid until they were out of sight. Then she rushed to her brothers. Did you see the strangers, she asked? Do you think they're robbers? Micah laughed and said, Oh, no, they are not robbers. All week long, we have seen many people along the road, said Joe. 
the great Roman Emperor Augustus has ordered that all must return to the city of their birth to be taxed. Father says we should stay in the fields and watch over the sheep tonight with so many strangers abroad. Oh, said Dorothy, how I'd like to sleep under the stars. Well, you can't, our biggest, littlest, oldest, and youngest sister, said Jonathan. Off with you, little Dot, said Micah. We'll see you tomorrow morning, and we'll be hungry as bears. Dorothy's mother called her early while the morning star was still shining. Wake up, sleepy one, and help your mother with the breakfast bread. They pounded the dough into flat, round cakes. Dorothy took the first batch outside to bake in the clay oven. We're going to make some parallels with this story, and I'm going to be reading through Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and it goes like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, here it is. This is the commotion. This is what I was talking about. Jesus coming, that's the commotion. That's step one. In the middle of this packed out town, everyone is just busy. They're, they're busy with their own issues. They're busy with their own life. They're getting settled in for the night. Um, they're securing food maybe from their journey. They're, they're just uh, going through some final business transactions. Who knows what's going on? Basically, they're just driving along and minding their own business. And the shepherds, Mitzi read about these shepherds. They're just out on the hills. They're watching their sheep, making sure that none of them wander off with all the people visiting in town. And then it happens. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to him, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Have you ever noticed... It's the little things that can bring you to a screeching halt. Like one loose bolt and a space shuttle won't launch. It's true. One little spring gives out on your brakes and they lock up. One little fuel line with a pinhole in it and your flight is canceled. Good reason. You don't want to fly on a plane with a faulty fuel line. Or maybe this is you. One wrong number typed in and your gift doesn't get ordered for Christmas with the online purchase. Or one wrong number typed in and your text message went to the wrong person. It's the little things that bring you to a screeching halt. One little baby is born and our world will never be the same. It was almost like a pinhole in the fuel line of life, Jesus' birth. Because to a lot of people it just went unnoticed. To the average person in the town of Bethlehem that night, Mary and Joseph were probably just another couple there for the census. Nobody was really paying them any attention, any mind. Uh, They just happened to get in too late. They couldn't get a room, so they were just making do. Talk about bad timing. They would probably think to themselves, they walk by and hear baby Jesus in in the stable, crying or fussing in the manger, and probably thinking to themselves, poor guy had to travel here with a pregnant wife and had to help deliver his own kid. 
Some guys just can't buy a brake, and they're staying in a stable to boot. He's going to hear about that one for a while. You know, who knows what they were thinking, but there was all this stuff going on, and I'll, I'll bet most people just overlooked what was really happening. But that little bit of commotion, it could have gone unnoticed, except for one small thing, the news media. So we had commotion, and now we have the news media. (laughs) Now, the news media, the -the on-the-scene reporters, if you will, are unlike most of our media today. They weren't going to start off this whole evening of news with an update about the census that would overshadow the real breaking news. No, no, no. They started right off with the big stuff, and they didn't hold back. Because, I mean, when God wants to announce the birth of his son, he doesn't use Hallmark. He uses his mark, okay? And he put it out there. Verse 8, the shepherds and the angels. Here we go. There, and if you're wondering, the angels are the news media, in case you missed that little transition there. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Let's pause there for a moment because I want you to think about if you were a shepherd, how this scene would play out in your life and maybe what it could have looked like. Suddenly, through the first pale glimmering of dawn, Dorothy saw a man running and waving his arms. Soon he was near enough for her to hear him plainly and to see him clearly. Micah, what is wrong? she called. We have seen a host of angels, shouted Micah. Fast on Micah's heels came Job, crying out, Glory to God in the highest. And then Jonathan ran up, shouting, We heard singing in the skies. Dorothy's father rushed outside. My sons, what has come to pass? he asked. All three spoke at once. Their father raised his hand. Keep silent, he ordered. Let my eldest son Micah speak. Father, last night while we were watching over our flocks, an angel of the Lord appeared. A strange light shone around us. And father, Jonathan broke in, we were so afraid. Silence, his father ordered. Speak on, Micah. It's true, we were frightened, father. But the angel told us not to be afraid. Fear not, said the angel. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. As Micah paused for breath, Jonathan spoke up. Father, the angel told us we would find the babe in a manger in the city of David. That would be Bethlehem, said their father. The prophets had foretold this. Father, said Micah, allow us to go to Bethlehem. Yes, my sons, the Lord has made this known to you, and you must go and must take a prized lamb to this newborn king. It was more than a day's journey to Bethlehem. They would arrive after nightfall. Dorothy and her mother scurried about packing food for the journey, finding their three best cloaks and their sturdiest sandals. How Dorothy longed to go with her brothers, but she dared not ask, well knowing what the answer would be. Sadly, she watched them 
until they were out of sight. So we have the commotion. We have the media. We have the angels pronouncing Jesus' birth. All we need now are the rubberneckers. And that was a great introduction for him. So here come the shepherds. Here they come. Verse 15 in Luke chapter 2 says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You know, just like an accident on the freeway or, or a pileup in, 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 in NASCAR in turn three, those things can change your perspective on what's important so quickly. It can change your whole course of travel. It can even change your point standings if you're in NASCAR. But Jesus' birth stopped the world in its tracks. It changed everything. The birth of Jesus, it got the attention of the king. It scared him, King Herod. His, his birth had the attention of the world at that time as we know it because I spoke last week about the Magi have seen this star and they're beginning to make their way to him. And, and you know what else? The birth of Christ still has the attention of the whole world today. I don't care what you believe or who you think you are. Everybody knows that in two days we're celebrating Jesus' birthday. I appreciate the way that his, his birth had the attention of Little Dot in this story as well. The moment her brothers vanished, Dorothy's feet began to move. It seemed as if she had no control over them as they sent her running after her brothers. All day she followed from afar, careful not to let them see her. She never tired or minded the hot sun, nor did she feel any hunger or thirst. She must see this child of whom the prophets had foretold. As night drew on, Dorothy feared she might lose sight of her brothers, and soon a greater fear struck her heart. She had no gift for the child. What can I bring the babe, she cried. I have not even a coin to buy a pomegranate. What can I bring to show my love? Ashamed to enter the city without a gift, Dorothy hid behind a rock and wept. Suddenly she heard a rush of wings beating in the night sky. She gazed upward and saw in a burst of light an angel waving a flower of purest white. Dorothy covered her face and waited until the rush of wings faded away. And when she opened her eyes, she beheld a wondrous sight. All of the ground surrounding the rock was carpeted with white flowers. I want you to think on those contrasts for just a minute. You see, the birth of Jesus got the attention of the king and the shepherds and the magi. And even in this story, the attention of a little girl named Dorothy. And his birth was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, it it would be his death, burial, and his resurrection that would get our attention also foretold by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. 
And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Nobody likes to think about that at Christmas time, but it goes full circle. You see, the story of man being redeemed by God began over 2,000 years ago with a gift from God in the form of his son, Jesus, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And the redemption story continues for us, again, with a gift from God, the life of his own son. He himself, Jesus, stepped in to save us with his strong arm and his justice to sustain him. He put on righteousness as armor, salvation his helmet. He clothed himself with the robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He slipped out of his royal garments and he left eternity to enter time. He left divinity to wrap himself in humanity. He left the sea of glass for an ocean of separation. He left peace and for the first time felt pain. Because the very hands that held the stars from the very beginning were sentenced to wear my scars. It was love that purchased our traitorous hearts. And it's what the prophets spoke about when they envisioned light living in men once again. What more is left to be said? God gave us the life of his son. As we pause right now, we're going to respond to God's word by spending a few moments focusing on him, focusing on his son, Jesus. I want you right now just to take a minute and forget about the Christmas holiday hustle and bustle and all the things that you still have to do and the places you still have to go. And I just want us to pause as we continue in our time of worship and think about why we're here. We, you know, just focus on the forgiveness of Jesus. And, and I want you to get to think about his life full circle. How it started through humble beginnings. How it ended on the cross. How he beat sin and death. And how he rose again. And how he is preparing a place of celebration for us right now. I'm going to take a moment, a few moments of silence. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have our time of communion. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to this point as we celebrate and as we think on the amazing gift that you gave in the form of your son, Jesus. He came as a baby, innocent, pure, and he was offered up again as an adult the final lamb to cover our sins. No greater gift, and I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that we remember these things always. And I pray that you will just continue to cleanse us, continue to forgive us, continue to love us. And I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.